Welcome to The People's Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. Hey, what's going on? It is The People's Show. Vic Nazar, no Randy Janda today. Jamie Dodd filling in. Dominic Schmatty running the show. Jamie hanging out for an hour. And then Josh Elliott Wolf will take over. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500. That's right, 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You gonna be all right over there, Jamie? We should. Uh, well, I have a couple things to say. First of all, uh, you know, Randy calls one play or one game as the color guy and starts big timing you and just taking days off randomly yeah. in the middle of the week. Second of all, I actually, um, real talk, I believe Randeep is uh, ill. Today. Okay. Well, whatever. It's, but it's all about the slander, as Randeep himself would say. I know. On sports radio, but, but but we're also pro facts on the show. Uh, sure. <laughs> Secondly, um, fifteen hundred five star Google reviews just sounds so good. I think we should make that like a goal for six fifty. For our podcasts or something to get there. Yeah. Well, it's just such a nice thing to be able to tout. Speaking of it's slander. It's very impressive. Speaking of slander, uh, Randy and I love to say when you go review the podcast, five star reviews only. Oh, of course. Write literally whatever yeah, you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we'll see, like the one star ones is like, how far do you want to scroll down to see the, yeah. the negative reviews? We can handle it, but like just save us time. Yeah. That's all we're saying. Yeah. I used to say uh, five star reviews only yeah. when I was promoting the Canucks Hour podcast last year, and people were texting, like, how dare you act entitled to a five-star review? I was like, come on, of course I only want the good ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. Again, write whatever you want. I'll read the bad reviews, but just just hit five stars. That's all we're asking. And, yeah, please, and please do so for uh, Canucks Hour, Canucks Central, Halford & Bruff as well. So, let's uh, start where uh, everyone has, uh, I might have started their shows yep. today. Uh Late yesterday, I think about 6 o'clock, maybe a bit earlier, but just as Canuck Central was signing off, uh, news breaking uh, from Post Media and CBC, uh, part of court filings in a family court between uh, Francesco Aquilini and his ex-wife, Tally Aquilini, as well. Allegations of psychological and physical abuse uh, towards the children in the Aquilini family. Uh, these are signed affidavits, which, uh, Jamie, you're the lo- the resident lawyer here. Yes. You can take me through these. Essentially, putting your word on the line mm-hmm. and opening yourself up to perjury down the line. Yeah, it's it's on the record, right? Yes. It's and you know I know there's been some confusion in the reporting. You know the because it's the lawyer who's only who's the one appearing that the lawyer is making the allegations, but it's it, these are coming from the children and, themselves and on the just record to be clear, in their words. The filings are evidence in a different yes. So, case. Yes. there. This is the case at hand, it, which is being heard in BC Supreme Court, is not, it is not going to, or at least it doesn't, certainly doesn't have to decide on the truthfulness of these allegations. Correct. That's not that's not what they have convened to decide one they're, way or another. They're here for child support. Yeah, case. The dispute about child support payments. U- university payments and all this sort of stuff. Now, the the revelation of this evidence in this is uh what has raised great cause for concern. 
obviously extremely serious and require extreme care. So I mm-hmm. hope everyone can appreciate that. Not only is it uh, part of the legal process to handle with extreme care, it's also our responsibility to handle, handle with extreme care as well. We will present the facts to you. We will read the statements from both the Aquilini family or, or from, from Francesco Aquilini. The NHL has issued a statement as well today. Yeah. And obviously the, the details of the case provided from uh, Tally Aquilini And I think it's himself. important to note, Beck, before we, just before we go any further, and I said this on Canucks Hour, but it bears repeating, you know, we're not going to hide from this story or run sure. from it or ignore it. We're going to talk about it, but we also, as you said, we have to practice sensitivity and care and give it all of the weight and the the, the due diligence that it deserves. And that means, you know, this is not a conversation starter. This is not a, a topic for debate. This is an important story that we're going to relay the facts on, and then we're going to wait and see My, what develops because that's how you have to handle it. A, a concern, obviously, because you want to see this case play out, but my concern in doing this show is people wanted to rush to judgment and say, what does this mean for the Vancouver Canucks and all this sort of stuff? And I want to reiterate, this is a family yeah, that's, dispute. That's all secondary. Yes. Not even secondary. It's far, it's, far, far, far down the list of concerns. This is a family dispute that requires going through legal proceedings. And once that is resolved and all the other snowballs that fall out from this as well, let's not get into the conversation of what yeah. this means for the hockey team. Because honestly, that's so far from my mind. This is about someone who is in a high-ranking position with the Vancouver Canucks. This is a family dispute. And obviously, we want to take it as seriously as possible and requires going through the entire legal proceedings. Uh, do you have the statement uh, there from the uh, from Francesco? Sure. Aquilini? So the uh, the statement issued, and it's been, you can find it in various places. Uh, my, uh, my Canucks Hour co-host Thomas Drance has it on his Twitter issued on behalf of Canucks chairman Francesco Aquilini. It is Francesco Aquilini categorically denies and is outraged by the accusation made by the by his ex-wife Talia in family court today that he has ever abused his children. The couple were divorced and reached a settlement in 2013. Mr. Aquilini has met and will continue to meet any child support obligations required by the law, but he has concerns about the veracity of the information provided in support of financial demands. It is unfortunate that allegations without merit are brought forward for a collateral purpose. He will have nothing further to say at this time as the matter is before the courts. So a few key points. They're obviously one, categorically denying the allegations, calling them without merit. And then the other one is that uh, he will have nothing further to say at this time. So if you're expecting any sort of further comment or anything like that, basically don't expect from uh, from Francesco Aquilini. Uh, and the NHL also putting out uh, their statement uh, that's been relayed to many reporters. We are aware of the allegations that have been made in family court proceedings in Vancouver and been in touch with Mr. Aquilini and his lawyers regarding... The same. Clearly, the parties have been involved in the most contentious divorce. Mr. Aquilini has advised us that he categorically denies these allegations. We plan to continue to monitor the situation, and if necessary, if necessary, we'll respond as we learn more as events unfold. There you go. Yeah, and the, I, again, I said this on Canucks Hour. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I do feel like the NHL statement kind of captures my point of view as well, which is these are very serious allegations. They're gonna we're aware of them. Yeah. We know the we know the denial also. We're aware of the denial and we'll continue to monitor it and see where it goes. Right. That that's that's kind of the appropriate reaction uh at this point when you when you learn of allegations like this. 
Vic Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in for Randy Janda today. We will continue with the rest of the show. And as audio comes in from uh, Canucks practice, we will bring it to you because they are on the ice today uh, and saw a couple of uh, changes there along the blue line. We were kind of discussing uh, in the, the prep room right now. You were on air, but it, it's <laughs> we've had this conversation so many times in the season or in the off season, as, as you try to plan out what the roster looks like and everything like that. And to me, like the curious case of where you fit Tyler Myers. Yeah. Almost like manifests today. Now look, Travis Dermott's out, uh, still feeling, you know, he, he left practice yesterday after feeling woozy. Um, but they rotated a bunch of defensive pairs. Myers amongst all of them. Uh, this is like the Rub- the the Rubik's cube of <laughs> the the blue line that I just feel like they're constantly going to be changing the iteration of it to try to find someone that fits with Tyler Myers because there are candidates as far as like the profile you want someone that's a defensive D man you've used you've heard me use the term stopper recently they don't have a left-sided one outside of OEL. And even then, OEL's capable of doing it. That's not necessarily playing to his strengths as an NHL player. They just don't really have a guy that can play with Tyler Myers. And today, Tyler Myers skated with Kyle Burrows, Myers on the left side, and Luke Shen with Luke Shen on the left side. There's just going to be this misfit pieces mm-hmm. to go with Tyler Myers. Now, Danny DeKaiser was... Thought to have been a candidate for that. He skated with Tucker Pullman today. And also we saw the preseason game of maybe this guy is not really ready to do yeah. so. I think the Canucks would have loved if Danny DeKaiser filled that spot on the mm-hmm. organization, right? And they could just plug him in there next to Tyler Myers as that left-handed defensive stopper. And, and we'll see how we'll see. we'll see how the rest of preseason goes. But it wasn't a, a shining start for Danny I, DeKaiser. And, you know, I... I don't know exactly what to read into the fact that DeKaiser and Pullman were not part of the the kind of shuffle and the mix up today with all of the with the other four defensemen. One another thing that caught my eye was that uh, they split up Jack Rathbone and Luke Shen at certain times sure. to mix them around because I looked at that as okay, you've got something there that you want to keep together. But, okay. Now you still can, obviously. To me, that's more of a factor of Tyler Myers than it is sure how that pairing is performed because. If if DeKaiser Pullman who skated together, I don't look at that and say, oh wow, they really got their second pairing. That to me looks like a de facto fourth pairing. Yes. To say, yes. you guys compete, we'll see like you guys are competing with each other essentially. To You're see in who- the mix for seven and eight. Yes. And now to figure out the rest, like we know Tyler Myers is making the team. We mm-hmm. know Tyler Myers is gonna get the third most even strength defensive minutes. I can just tell you that right now. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, that's a guarantee. hundred percent. That's what's gonna play out. But you need to figure out who he works with. And then in breaking up one of those guys, you then break up the rest of it. This is a Tyler Myers uh, question more than it is a Shannon Rathbone question. And I think another part of it is, obviously, is Travis Dermott's absence. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, and I, I've been kind of beating this drum for a little bit here, that I think ultimately when you have the situation the Canucks have in the blue line, you probably just get your six best guys out there. It's going to be some pairings that you don't love on yeah. paper, but that's kind of what and, you have to do. And I think that's Hughes, OEL, Myers... Rathbone, Dermot, and Shen. And That's just, what I think it is. It, it, it's the classic like NFL. Just get your best eleven on there, yep. and figure out how you play defense after that, or figure out how you play offense after that. 
And, you know, we've talked about this. And even when Bruce joined us uh, here on the People Show at the Milford, you know, we asked him, is this a situational thing with Hughes and OEL? Or is this something you want to do full time? And he kind of walked the line of it. And when you kind of just follow the breadcrumbs of that, in the offensive zone, you can play Hughes and OEL together. Mm -hmm. Is that something you want to do in the defensive zone? Well, if your other pairings are Dermot and Myers and Rathbone and Shen, you're going to have to use OEL and Hughes as your matchup pairing. Really? You're not going to use Dermot and Myers? I'm more just talking about, like, can you break this up? And and this is going to be the juggling act that the defense coaches are going to have to do deal with, Mike Yo and Trent Cole as well, that does... Do you stagger their minutes in such a way that Hughes is playing 25, 26, but it's all even strength, all power play, and you put him with OEL sometimes, and yeah. then you you do the double shift of sometimes he's with Shen, and then OEL can go with Myers sometimes, and Myers can go with Dermot, and Rathbone plays almost exclusively with Shen kind of thing, and you get him to 11, 12, 13 minutes, and the minutes are going to look weird, and the the pairings are always going to be scattered, but you work out the juggling act that in situations, this is what we want to do. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to find ways to get Quinn Hughes' minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that was always the case under Travis Green. Yep. It remained the case under Bruce Boudreaux. You know, you're leading, or sorry, you're, you're chasing the game in the third period. Get him a shift with Tyler Myers. Get him to juice that offense a little bit, right? That I think you just always have to find a way to get your best players involved like that. So I do expect to see that in, in much the same way you're laying out there. At the same time, you know, the bulk of his minutes at least in the early going, are probably going to be played with OEL, right? The bulk of Jack Rathbone's minutes, I would expect to be played with Luke Shen. You're still going to see a lot. You need to hope, at the very least, that the pairings as you set them up are are going to be able to function together because they're going to see a ton of minutes together. This leads me to the big question, and it's something we'll talk about through the course of the show. You can chime in 650-650, as always, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. What is or who is the best partner for Tyler Myers? So there's, I think there's two answers for this. The best partner for Tyler Myers, right? If you just wanted to get the most out of Tyler Myers, it's probably Oliver Ekman-Larsen because mm-hmm. he's the best left-handed defenseman on the team but, other, than, other than Quinn Hughes. He's, but that's not what's best for Oliver That's not what's best for the team. Yeah. I don't think that's what's best for the team either. I think best and, for the team is if you can make Hughes and OEL work together on the top pairing. But, but even that, that almost feels like a overextending yourself of your, your quote-unquote wealth of what you have <laughs> on defense, right? It, the... the you're using your your two best guys together and just saying, we hope we can survive and ride you guys with the, the the largest amount of minutes and we just get by with the other pairing. And this is why I've talked about it's not going to be just full-time OEL and Hughes. We'll see how it plays out during the course of the season. But, you know, that, that to me is a high-risk move to just say those two guys always together. When we talked about this, myself and Randy, two, three weeks ago, and we said, okay, what is your ideal scenario? And Randy pitched OEL and Hughes and obviously, we've seen that come to fruition. Mm-hmm. You know, the one I, I pitched was Myers and Hughes because you're going to get the same offensive upside that you have right now, if not a bit more chaotic, obviously. But it it creates more balance everywhere else. Like every other pairing makes a lot more sense when you put Myers and Hughes together. Now, you can say, well, does it make sense for Quinn Hughes? Sure, but I'll... I'll I'll rely on my superstar to figure that part out. So then in that setup, is it OEL and Travis Dermott on your second pair? Or is it 
OEL Pullman, OEL Dermot. Yeah. See, but I don't want... I, I, again, am number one focused on getting the best six guys in the lineup. When I think Travis Dermott is one of those six guys, at least right now, right? With, based on what we've seen from, from Pullman and, uh, and Danny DeKaiser so far. And that could change throughout the course of the season. But for me, that's the priority. And I just think, look, maybe, uh, it's, maybe in that scenario, it comes down to a choice between a Dermott-Myers pairing and a Dermott-OEL pairing. And you feel like, okay, at least OEL is a lot more steady than Tyler Myers. So that's what we want. But I still like putting your two best defensemen together on a pairing. Yeah, there's risk to it. There certainly is, but I think there's upside. Well, I think there's enough upside to justify it. it it's it's risk for the other four demand. Like that's the problem. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, it, it's, it's not risk for OEL and Hughes. They're going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to be fantastic on the ice, and I'm genuinely excited to see it. Honestly, it's just they can't play 40 minutes a no. game, and and that's why we we've talked about they loading up a, a trio of a line. And you can dominate that way. I I don't know if it's going to work as successfully in the D pairs to be able to do that. Well, I think that's why Jack Rathbone is such a key player. For yeah, me, and, right? and we talked about it yesterday. Yeah. If he gets to just just to a stage where he can be labeled a number four D man. Oh my goodness! Oh, just yeah. there. Because the problem is like Luke Shen can play in any slot but he can't play as the lead guy on any slot. No, no, no. He can play first line next to a number one guy. He can play in the second line on the second pairing next to a number four guy. He can be the secondary piece on any of these pairings, but they need someone to just be able to lead a pairing with him. And that's why yeah, there's so much reliance on Jack Rathbone because then if Myers is playing on your quote-unquote third line or third pair, third pair, you can put, I, I'm, I'm okay putting almost anyone with him. If it's Dermot, okay, that's yeah. fine. If it's... Uh, I guess Dermot would be the one that goes on the the left side there, but you can you can really experiment with that. Then I think the the probably the best way to line it up when you have Hughes and OEL together is okay. They're going to play big minutes. Yeah, they can't play half the game obviously in the regular season, night in night out. But they're going to play big minutes, and then you probably split the remaining minutes kind of evenly between the two pairings. Right? You mm-hmm. don't see that extreme you know top four and bottom pairing split that you do see on a lot of teams. But I think even that would represent a pretty significant achievement for Jack Rathbone to be kind of like, no, I'm not clearly the third pairing. I, I can be part of the mix for those next two pairings. And, you know, you limit Tyler Myers minutes a little bit there. Then that way, maybe that it gets a, a little bit of extra efficiency out of him. But if Jack, if you're not confident playing, you know, Jack Rathbone, I don't know, 17, 18 minutes a night, then things start to get really complicated, right? Because then you are going to be leaning so heavily on Tyler Myers and whoever his partner is. And as we're talking about, there's no clean fit. And, just for the record here, I'm not, I'm not saying Jack Rathbone on game one is going to be a number four D-man. It was very much, hey, by game 35, yeah, game, yeah, by, yeah. by halfway into the season, if if he starts the season with the team. Which I think I would be shocked if he does. I, at this stage, I would shocked. be surprised, yeah. They're giving him such a look and giving him these opportunities. Give him a run. And he's stapled with Shen, who's, you know, the, like, <laughs> the, the designated shepherd you into the league guy. <laughs> He's like the Liam Neeson of the Canucks where he just plays these roles where he's just this fatherly figure. He's like the guy who does your orientation on your first day at a new job. <laughs> he's like, okay, here's the NHL. This is what... <laughs> here's your information packet. Yeah. When, when, when you're stuck in a corner with Sidney Crosby, you're going to lose. That's just what happens. <laughs> he's gotta, just got to recover. Just got to recover. Just shout to your teammates that that's what's going to go down. Uh, yeah. Again, he's getting every opportunity to prove himself and... Just look at the last preseason game, 26-some-odd minutes. Uh, you're going to be playing a ton. 
and let's see how many roles we can play you in. But again, it's it's by getting to a certain stage in the season, game 30, game 35, can we credibly say you are a number four D-man? Because then Luke's chain can pair with you, and it, it, it's, it's going to be up and down, but you can live with that if the upside is, say, number four quality style D-man for this guy who's just stepping into his first foray into the league. And listener Tyler texts in. He wants to to go back to the top four we saw last year with Hughes and Shen paired together and Myers and OEL on a pairing. And look, you know that those... That's those, those You know those duos can yeah. function to a certain level. My problem is, what does that mean for Jack Rathbone and Travis Dermott? Then mm-hmm. there's no easy fit for either of them, and you're probably leaving one of them out of the lineup because you don't want to play them together on a third pairing, and you have to find a way to get that upside. Those are the guys that have upside, more so than Tucker Pullman and Danny yeah. DeKaiser. you got to find a way to squeeze some of that upside out of them. That is the break glass in case of emergency yeah. D pairing, right? And you just go back to it. The You've heard me say this before. The opening 20 games of the season, experiment, right? That's what training camp is for. Experiment, transition these experiments into the season, see if they work, and then... Give it enough of a sample size and say, okay, yes, this one does. No, this one doesn't. And cancel out. And then the next 40 is really honing on your identity. And the last 20 is charge up for the playoffs. That's kind of how you want to break up the season. But this experiment that they're trying, OEL and Hughes, you're going to have to see uh, it try to work out in regular season games. Someone's texting in, Shen, I have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> he really does. He really does. <laughs> Uh, this one, uh, this is more, a bit more inventive, but can you add a second to get rid of Myers? This franchise is not in the spot right now that they can. And pa- Patrick Alvin has been yeah. very clear about that. Don't want to give up assets to move off salary right now. That's and not something they're interested in. This management group, while you might be frustrated with some of the contracts and the tenures of some of these players, this management group has assumed some of those mistakes. So they are only, they're less than a year into dealing with some of these problems. I know you want to see them move faster. For them, they can just sit here and say, hey, we can play this out. We can let the Tyler Myers contract run down a bit more Mm -hmm. and wait till it becomes in a position of more value because we're not under pressure to solve these problems right now despite these players being on the roster for so long. How much have so many of us and so many fans been crying for a more patient approach, right? Mm -hmm. And now I understand it's different because... Right now, you people have, are just fatigued you have, by seeing the same well, players. Right so. now, you have star players either in their prime mm-hmm. or entering their prime in a way you didn't five seasons ago. Right, so I understand that the demands of team building are different, but ultimately, patience is going to be your friend. And, and I, I think it's very, very hard to have too much of a problem with the team hoarding what assets they do have and looking farther down the road rather than spending them just to get out of a jam right now. Uh, 650-650, you can always chime into the show to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Full show today. We will have our people's picks as well uh, later on in the show, getting ready for Thursday night football. Uh, Also, Jesse Granger will join us today from The Athletic uh, in Vegas, as we continue our Pacific Division previews, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, certainly one of the teams the Canucks are going to be competing with uh, in that Pacific Division three seed or just in general for a playoff spot. Uh, also, we will talk to Ian McIntyre. We will every Wednesday at 2 o'clock, the triple threat. And at 2.30, Danny Kelly from the Ringer Fantasy Football Podcast will join us. So if you got those fantasy football questions, what does Zach Wilson coming back mean for the New York Jets and their pass-catching options or... Is Zach Wilson a viable QB option for you? Whatever it is, 
Uh, you can text in your questions, 650-650. We'll continue on with the show. More of your thoughts on the other side. Uh, Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in for Randeep Jande here on The People Show. Welcome back to The People Show. Vic Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in for Randy Janda, who was uh, ill today. Hopefully we see Randy back tomorrow. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650. Brought to you by Black and Lee. Suiting up just got easier for modern suit and tuck sales. Fashionable menswear and same-day rentals. Visit Black and Lee. Dot com. You can always chime in to the show, 650-650, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. What are they saying right now in the inbox, Jamie? Uh, Sam says, I love Burroughs. Kyle Burroughs with Myers. They need his toughness. That's, and uh, that, That's kind of interesting, right? Big Kyle Burroughs yeah. fan. Um, it's it's the handedness that's an issue. And I guess you, you would say the profile of that player, because we're, we're talking about just the defensive D-man. Like, Kyle Burroughs can be that. Obviously, there's an element of uh, physicality that he brings as well. I would trust Kyle Burroughs more than Danny DeKaiser. Yes. Well, I think, you know, Kyle Burroughs, when, when Drance and I were up in Whistler for training camp and he started those sessions on an AHL pairing, kind mm-hmm. of like probably the ninth guy on the depth chart, I don't think he's going to stay there. Right, I think he's mm-hmm. going to be one of the eight that they take because he's showing what he can do coming into the lineup. As Sam says, bringing that element of toughness, he's reliable. It's it's just the handedness thing. Yeah, that's, that now becomes I, a problem. I do think we saw him play on the left side for stretches mm-hmm. last year, right? So he can do it. It's maybe not what you want. And look, I would not av- advocate for getting him in there ahead of a healthy Rathbone or a healthy Shen or a healthy uh, Travis Dermott. But as a guy to have on hand in case there are injuries that open up that you can put pretty much anywhere. You want? Yeah, I think Kyle Burroughs is that guy. You're the big Dermot guy. I had no idea. I, I, look, it, maybe it would be... Stop I throwing... Know, I don't um, know what's going on over here. Mouses across By the way, the... so we're in the, the backup yeah. studio here. This is the first time I've done a show with somebody else in the backup studio. Oh, okay. It's always just been me ranting and raving. Actually, maybe Drancer was in here one time. I don't know. Anyways, I didn't realize I can't control my mic. Like, these these controls in front of me for my mic do nothing. Completely They're ornamental. Completely ornamental. Yeah. I didn't know that. So yesterday, the whole show, every time coming back from break, just a, a loud, hearty throat clear right into the mic right. before I turned it on. Because no, I you can it turn it off. off. No, you can't. Oh, I did that. Definitely did that yesterday. Yeah. And then I didn't even realize I was doing it until people started texting me. I'm like, Jamie, what is wrong with you? Because <laughs> you did one earlier. That's why I asked you, hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I oh, just have okay. to clear my throat sometimes. No, but anyway, which, which happens all the time. But you did it in such an aggressive way. I was like, "Are you okay?" Like, I do everything like the next that. Hour? Like, I have really loud sneezes. I laugh. You have really loud everything. I laugh really loud. Yeah, you yeah. are honestly like, wow. We're gonna just judge each other here. Let's just do it. <laughs> What's my worst quality? You, no, no, it's not worst quality. But like, literally, as soon as I met you, I was like, "Oh, this guy's radio." <laughs> like. Again, just like your laugh is so loud. I was like, yeah, this guy belongs in radio. This guy needs a microphone to amplify everything that I he has to say. I don't have problem projecting. No, that's true. I do literally and then, not. And then all like the random noises that a human makes are also loud. But, but they're all, yeah, but they're all like off air things that would happen right before you go on air. It's, it's the funniest thing that only like being in the radio building you would understand. Yeah. Where someone like, hey, let me just, like I shall do it even when I'm at home where I'll lean away from my chair. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, doing yeah, it right yeah. now to like cough. That's just force a habit to me because we, we do it 
by the, the mics all the time because you don't want that sound to carry onto the air. <laughs> yeah. And it carried yesterday in oh, a yeah. big way. That's that's hilarious. Anyways, I, really, I, I figured it that, out now. I really thought that thing worked. No, I tested it out with Dom today, and we decided no matter what I do, oh. potting it down, turning it off, there's no way for me to control uh, control it from here. So well, there you I, go. I'm glad people were roasting you in the inbox. Though. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what the inbox is there for. Accountability, questions, yeah. comments, comedy, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, what else are they saying in the inbox? 650, 650. Uh, this one. Uh, I don't understand why the Canucks are playing hardball against Bo Horvat. What was interesting today as well, uh, we'll get into the whole Horvat thing. Um, the hardball thing is, like, what do you think the player is worth? Simple as that. It's, it's, yeah. it, you can't reduce it to as simple as, well, this guy wears a C, you have to give him all the money in the also, world. Like, yeah, negotiations... I mean, were they playing hardball with JT Miller? They were negotiating. Sometimes there's going to be disagreements. It's it's the inverse of what you're talking about before. It's like, oh, people wanted to see patience from previous regimes. Yeah. And, now, and now when patience is exercised, it's like, whoa, what's happening? The inverse is, well, we want to see hard negotiators. And when they negotiate hard, it's like, are you kidding me? You're not going to be able to please everyone all the yeah. time. Well, like, you, that you is the, the job that Patrick Ovin has in front of him. You can be the biggest fan of a player in the world, and in a hard cap environment, you still can't just hand them a blank check. You have mm-hmm. to do what you can to grind it down a little bit. Now... There's an element of preserving the relationship and all that, too. That's true. It's a fine line to walk. But I don't think just because they haven't signed a deal with Horvat yet means it's hardball, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or if it does, it's fine that it is hardball. Uh, I said this to Randy, um, that when Austin Matthews hits free agency, there's a chance he could be the first max player. Genuinely, how many players would you give a blank check to across the league right now? Like, to go to the max? Yeah, like, hey, I'm going to give you 20% of the cap. McDavid, McCarr, McKinnon, Matthews. That might be it. it it's a really small yeah. list, right? Yeah. And so, again, I like those players as much as you do. It, that's probably the list for me, too. That's it. So as much that's as you can, yeah. as, as much as I can like Charlie McAvoy, as much as I can like Alex Barkov, as much as I can like Adam Fox, there's a limit to what you're prepared to do. The only handful of guys you're really doing it for is the list that you just announced right there. That's really about it. So you have to go through this process of, hey, this is what we think you're worth. This is what how much money we actually have available to give you that leaves us open to all to do all these other things we're going to have to do in two years, by the way. Hint, hint, Elias Pettersson. That's just the way of the world. If, if you go into these negotiations with the team and the player like immediately snaps up your first offer, either you've made a bad offer or they're getting really bad advice, right? <laughs> either you're like, oh, wow, we came in way too high to start, or they're getting bad advice from their agent. One of those two things is true. Uh, but the interesting thing today, uh, while we're on the uh, topic of Bo Horvat, is uh, they practiced the penalty kill today at uh, Connects Practice. They're uh, on the ice still, but what we saw today... Tanner Pearson and JT Miller together, Curtis Lazar, Jason Dickinson, uh, Dakota Joshua and Elias Patterson, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe and Nils Amon, and then Hughes Puelman, OEL Burroughs, and Danny DeKaiser uh, were the groupings on the penalty kill. No Bull Horvat. Obviously, Ilya Mikheyev's missing from this as well uh, with his injury status, but surprise JT Miller's name is there. Yeah, and... I think we're going to see them mix through a bunch of different options on the penalty kill. It's not that JT Miller can't and hasn't done it. It's a question of yeah. how are you prioritizing his minutes? Like the whole point you went out to go get Lazar and Mikheyev is to feature in this role. Now, look, I know Mikheyev's a missing today. I just didn't expect to see 
JT Miller on the PK much at all. Like, I, if if he finished seventh and forwards, a nice time on five, uh, uh, shorthanded, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right. Especially because Patrick Alvin talked about trying to reduce his minutes, and mm-hmm. that's clearly the area you would like to do it. Not you don't want it to be on the power play. It's not going to be mm-hmm. on five on five. You want it to be on the penalty kill. I think this just speaks to one Ilya Mikheyev's absence, but also the team being willing to try a bunch of different things there, right? Because you're also seeing, you know, Dakota Joshua of Elias Pettersson. And I'm sure they would love to get Dakota Joshua into the penalty-killing mix. I would be surprised if it's alongside Elias Pettersson, right? Now, that that feels like a spot where Ilya Mikheyev could very easily slot in, or Bo Horvat, for that matter. So I think you can look at some of those pairings. You know, Pearson and Miller, we've seen do it together on the PK. They're certainly an option if you don't want to lean on them. Lazar Dickinson feels very much like something you could roll out there in the regular season. But I, I think there's also just kind of an element of experimentation. And, you know, the D pairings are pretty interesting as well, right? Like Quinn Hughes with Tucker Pullman, OEL I mean, with Kyle Burrows, no Tyler Myers. Quinn Hughes with literally anyone on the PK yeah. would have surprised me. And yeah, with Tucker Pullman in that scenario, again, I, I chalk this up to experimentation than anything and, yeah. and keep yourself sharp and active in, in situations that might arise throughout the course of the season. And right now you can do it in low leverage moments in a training camp kind of style practice. But yeah, that is uh, surprising. Of the forwards who are kind of obvious NHL guys, outside of probably Kuzmenko and Hoaglander, I could see everyone else factoring in at some point. Like I could see them trying to to coach Vasily Podkolzin up to the point yeah. where he can be a penalty killer, right? Well, I Garland, see them, we yeah, saw Connor that. Garland, right? Yeah. Brock Besser, probably not where you're going to use his minutes, but he's smart. He's defensively reliable. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they have a very deep penalty-killing bench, right? And not maybe not everyone will feature every time, but you know you have those options farther down the lineup. But that's the conversation we've tried to have over the course of the summer. Just, okay, what does this PK need to achieve as far as ranking or percentage that they have to try to kill off here? Like, what is the baseline that they have to try to achieve? I look at it and I say, for me, it's got to be at least 16th. That should be the goal, I think. League average. Like, that is low. Yeah. I think it's a big win if it's league average. Yeah. From where it was last year. Because the other element is when you're looking at your special teams as a whole, I have a lot of faith in the power play. Yeah. So I think if you have a league average penalty kill plus this power play, you're going to be a net plus probably pretty easily so on special teams, which is huge. So I think that's kind of the goal, right? Just just get to league average. Be be fine on the penalty kill. Because I don't think they were as bad as they were in the first 30-some-odd games. Definitely don't think they were as good as they were in the tail end of the season. So the truth is somewhere in the middle. They clipped at about just shy of 75%. They have to get towards that 80 number. Because 80 will clip you towards that league average. It's not special. No. But suddenly the deficit that gets created that you go into the every night saying, hey, we're not going to this game down. We're nothing because we're going to take a penalty. Right? And and the proper remedy here is to stop taking penalties. That'd be great. They're just going to happen. So if you can get to that 80 number, that to me is like I'm focusing on the overall efficiency of the unit rather than where they land in the in the the NHL, but they have to try to strive for that 80% number. Yeah, and think about how many times early last year when the power play also wasn't clicking, mm-hmm. where they lost, they were a minus one or a minus two on special yeah. teams. You know what I mean? And it's just you can't win games like that constantly when you're constantly down. So I think if their league average and yeah, wherever that maps out to, that kind of 80% range or whatever that gives them an opportunity to not just break even on special teams, be a plus. And, and potentially, look, potentially, depending on how that power play goes, like, be a pretty dramatic plus well, on special teams. Last year, they finished uh, ninth in power play percentage. But even under Boudreaux, there was multiple three-game stretches where they got zero goals. Yep. 
And for a team, we were making this point yesterday, for a team that doesn't thrive five-on-five or didn't last year, now there could be improvement in that this year, of course. But for a team that wasn't thriving five-on-five, they couldn't live in a reality where they go multiple games on the power play without scoring. And they needed to just be more consistent. You can end up in a spot where you end up as the ninth best power play and it looks good using the total numbers over the course of a 57-game sample. But you can't go games without scoring on the, on the power play because it just leaves you in what you're talking about then in that deficit and that special teams gap where if you're not thriving on five and five, you have to win on special teams. And they just weren't enough last year. Yeah, and we know even with the improvements and with Bruce Boudreau, this is not going to be a team that dominates the territorial play at five on five. Probably not, right? Like you should expect improvement. You can expect them to win it even, but it's not going to be night in, night out. Mm-hmm where it's like the Carolina Hurricanes, where they just rag the puck. They're all over the puck, right? But the flip side of that is they do have some other elements where you need to make up ground. One is goaltending. You, they they got to have good goaltending from Thatcher Demko and, and probably Spencer Martin and his backup. And I think the other side of that is special teams. You need to find a way to make special teams a strength if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be just average at five on five, you got to find that edge somewhere else. And I think for the Canucks, if they can improve their penalty kill, then then special teams should be that edge for them. Uh, 650-650, let's wrap up the segment with a few more of your thoughts. You can get them into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, unsigned here. Uh, what is the goal for our fourth line? What's the build of it? And what does a good year look like? Best case scenario, be realistic scenario. Well, I think we've tried to be pretty realistic all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just said 80% PK is a good year for this PK. That's not uh, a world-beating scenario. Uh, but what are realistic expectations and what does it look like? Well, we know it's going to look bigger. More yeah. so than anything. Uh, you know, I was a fan of Matt Highmore. I know obviously a lot of people love Tyler Mott in this city. It's just going to look bigger. Jason Dickinson, Curtis Lazar, and Dakota Joshua is the intent as it stands right now. And if you just look at those body sizes, I mean, we talked to uh, do, uh, Dakota Joshua at the Milford and large guy. Just, oh, yeah. Just looks well put together and just go through it like, Curtis Lazar, he's six foot. Jason Dickinson, six two. Dakota Joshua, six two. These are large bodies that we're probably going to see less minutes from them because the the Lamico line last year had so its, good. Well, it had its successes, surprising everyone. And you just had to play them in third line minutes, even though it was, was your quote unquote fourth line. This is going to look more like a traditional fourth line where. How often do they break ten minutes? You would hope regularly, just because you can rely on them and your team is playing well. You can roll all four lines, but. The the Horvat Miller Pedersen groupings are going to dominate five on five. Yeah, I mean, I would say their goal for the fourth line is pretty much the same as any team's goal, right? Get that energy, get that element of physicality, and have a have a level of trust mm-hmm. that you you feel confident in your fourth line. Not that you're going to play the massive minutes, but you're not scared to put them out there. Now, you know, with Dakota Joshua, I'm still I'm still waiting to see a little more. And sure. that can come farther in the preseason. I'm not I, writing him off. Or I, I'm like weirdly that. excited to see what it looks like in in, in the regular season. Yeah, sure. And he's going to get his opportunities because yeah. we know they're high on him, and that's that's totally fair. I think the other interesting thing, though, is if they're ever healthy for an extended stretch here, you're going to be in a position where a pretty good player might slot in on that fourth line, right? It could be Niels Hoaglander. It could be somebody mm-hmm. else as the, as the lineup shuffles and moves around. So, you know, for me, I would like to see 
just raise the bar a little bit. And let's not forget, yeah, they had a really good fourth line when that group was together last year. But if you can not only bring that energy and that physicality on the fourth line, but have a player there who can pot a goal for you as well, that's huge. And, and they're in a position to at least have that at some point in the season. Well, well, the part that I was weirdly excited about for, for Dakota Joshua, you started going through all these underlying numbers and his expected goals, like his name kept cropping up way higher on these lists than I ever thought. Like I'm talking like top 40. Mm-hmm. And 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 these are small sample sizes and you, you you can play around with the numbers a bit. It's like expected goals per 60 and he wasn't playing a lot of minutes. But nevertheless, he just kept flashing high on these lists. And I thought, all right, I got to watch more of this player and excited to see what he looks like in a Vancouver Canucks uniform. It's not an indication he's suddenly going to be this 20 goal score or something like that. Just uh if you can look competent in the spreadsheets, I want to see how you look on the ice. That's all. Yeah. That's and all let, of us. And let's raise the bar for the fourth line. Of right? course. I mean, it's never going to be the most important thing in your team or anything, but yeah, score some goals. Go out there, produce. Yeah. Don't just hold your own. That's why it was so exciting last year when the Lamico line started at one point, what was it, 13 to 1 in a stretch where they had oh, four, it was five incredible. Five. It was incredible. <laughs> they, were getting, they were getting NHL network shine often. It's like, look at this line, guys. This fourth line is crushing it right now. And... In this city in particular, they became kind of modified rock stars because hadn't seen successful fourth lines in some time. It had been yeah. like eight, nine years since you had seen a functional uh, fourth line living up to its value, surpassing its value, and actually getting people excited. Because the texture text back in, thanks, guys. I love a good fourth line because it is such a, a fourth line can energize a building because everyone recognizes oh, these are the guys that are scrapping to be on and they're actually giving it their all. They, they probably represent the the, the more... Uh, general hockey community more so than anyone because you can relate to it. It's like, yeah, just go crash and bang. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And but then when it when it actually clicks, I mean, it was that was a huge part of the mm-hmm. success they were having for a while there. As you said, they were the fourth line, but they were playing third line minutes. They were matching up with yeah. other teams' top lines at points. Uh, table saw James uh, commenting on our max money players. So anybody with uh, whose last name begins with M, is that how that worked out? Yeah, McDavid, McKinnon, McCarr, McCarr Matthews. Amazing. It's all the M's. I don't know what to read into that. I'm, I'm changing my name to Bick Mazar now. Let's, <laughs> let's go for that top money. Why do you think JT Miller cashed in? <laughs> <laughs> if she changed his name to uh, Bo Morvat, so he gets uh, more money. Uh, <laughs> uh, this one, Dino texting in, PK in the top half of the league would be just dandy. Again, sure, just, would. Get, just, sure would. Just getting that 80%. I think 80% last year was 15th or 14th in the league last year. It was already a high goal scoring year. For you, is it more uh, where the more improvement cons- is going to come from? Hold on. Is it more? I'm asking a question. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. No, because we haven't been on air together. So I I, I, I'm, I'm missing out on my Bic Nazar takes uh, a little bit here. But is it, is it, is Still the improvement going to come more from different personnel? Not just like changes to the bringing in new guys, but different well, players on the team getting a look or tactical adjustments I'm, for you? I'm concerned about the tactical changes, right? Because we saw the success of the power kill mm-hmm. last year in Pedersen. Is that going to translate with the new coaching staff? Like Brad Shaw would, had a hand in that. He doesn't, he's not on the, the, the coaching staff anymore. So how is the PK going to be handled under this coaching staff? I think that's a concern. That's why I don't necessarily think, hey, what we saw at the end of last year is immediately going to translate. They were wildly successful, like top four, top five rates for stretches at the end of last season. We don't know what that's going to translate. So yeah. I have my tactical concerns. But the personnel, in theory, up front especially. Like, I had more concerns of what happened at the forward group than I did on the defensive side. 
Mikheyev is like going to be a big boost. Yeah. But how is he going to be fashioned? How is he how is he going to be deployed? Like those are the things that are concerning for me. Well, and I Same think for you? you look the tactical thing is going to be interesting. Obviously Mikheyev counts in a in a big way. We'll see what Lazar can do as that that right-handed centerman that they did not have at all last season. You know, can Jason Dickinson bounce back? He was expected to be a major contributor on the penalty kill. He struggled uh, in a big way early in the season. But I just think the biggest factor is having a coaching staff that is willing to use more of your top players, right? Like, I'm really excited to see what Elias Pettersson can do going into the season with some sort of role established on the penalty kill. Because, again, I'm, you know, I've talked about it a lot. Bet on your talent. Rely on your talent. You're counting on Elias Pettersson to be a top high-end player. Well, you know, mostly what those guys do is they play in every situation. Give them the chance to do that. And I think you add those types of players into the mix on your penalty kill, and whether it's Quinn Hughes on the back end as well, you're raising your ceiling for what it can be because mm-hmm. you're getting more talent now, to bear. Do you think they had to do that last year just because try to create more goals for themselves? I think they did it. Because I'm not necessarily advocating I want to see Elias Pettersson on the PK again this year. I think it should be. In, I, I understand you don't want him to be, you know, your first choice guy or mm-hmm. anything because of minutes and shot blocks and all that. But I do want to see him be a consistent part. I think the biggest thing was one they wanted. I think there was an understanding. I, I forget if it was Elias Pettersson, but certainly Quinn Hughes asked to do it. Right? Yeah. He was like, "I want to do this." I think Elias Pettersson did as well. So there's just you're giving those guys a vote of confidence. Hey, you're really important to the team. This is something you want to try. We're going to let you do it and see how it goes. I think that's important. And I think the other aspect was kind of making it a whole team thing. You know, hey, we're all in this together. A bunch of different guys are going to mm-hmm. go out there in the penalty kill. We all got to pull the same direction and try to fix it. So I think there were some kind of classic Bruce Boudreau vibe atmosphere things happening there. But I'd like to see those continue. Make sure Elias Pedersen has buy-in on the penalty kill yeah. still. There were games last year where it was like eight forwards getting chances 100%, on, the, on yeah. the PK. And it's like, oh, I, I guess we can just throw out the names today. And I think that was tactical and symbolic, right? It sure. was tactical because everyone's fresh and they're out there in these quick shifts. But it's also symbolic saying, hey, it's not just four guys who are responsible for this. It's everyone who's mm-hmm. responsible for it. Uh, the, the name we didn't mention, or maybe we have, but, but no Bo Horvat uh, on the PK work today. Rather surprising. Yeah, very interesting. I, I just figured, like, of all the names... Um, if you were to do the thing of, hey, just four guys are running it every single day, Bo Horvat's among those four names just because of the faceoff value. And yet, today, no Bo Horvat. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreau at some point today, but uh, maybe that'll get posed to him. I'm I'm a little surprised. That's all. I would wager he'll be asked about that. Yeah. If I had to guess. Because, uh, look, if you had to do the scenario of just like the, the, the top four guys, if it plays out all season long, who are the top four PK forwards? By minutes, uh, I would imagine to be Bo Horvat in a order: Horvat, Mikheyev, Lazar, Dickinson, maybe Pearson. Well, or yeah, probably Pearson. I would say over Dickinson, yeah. just because who knows if Dickinson's even going to be in the lineup consistently. But yeah, but the main three, I think the, I think it's well, I don't know. I would probably say I would probably have Pearson over Horvat to be honest. Just I would say it's Lazar and Mikheyev. Those are your like we signed yeah. these guys to yeah. come in and play massive minutes on the penalty kill. I'd probably slot Pearson in there just because he's always in the lineup and he's good at it. And then I think that fourth position is a little mm-hmm. bit up for grabs. I, I'd love, again, you mentioned his name. I'd love to see Vasily Podkolzin take over uh, a PK role as well because he's not on power play one. I don't think he practiced on power might, play yeah, two. Yeah, he might not even be on power play two. Yeah. He, did. he didn't. He practiced with the penalty killers yesterday. Now, I imagine he'll grow into a power play role uh, at some point this season because if there's offensive upside coming from, get him on the power play. 
But there's a player that certainly has the capability and the wherewithal to play on the penalty kill. Uh, but certainly, uh, can he grow into a penalty killing role? Uh, by the way, before we get out of the segment, somebody texted in, where the heck is Juho Lamico anyways? Uh, he is playing for the ZSC Lions mm-hmm. in the Swiss League. So, Zurich? Zurich, yeah. yeah. So, hey, everyone says if you're going to go overseas and play somewhere, Switzerland is like the place to do it. So congratulations to Juho Lamico. Yeah. There's your Yuho Lamico update today. You gotta get it in. Hey, somebody asked. No, no, I'm I'm here for it. A full service radio station. Uh, Snoop the dog testing in. Could JT on the PK and PD be a benefit for the final 15, 20 seconds of a power play? You sneak some offensive guys to take advantage of when the PK uh, or the power play might be stuck out in transition. Again, yeah. It's it's things that are nice in theory. How many times over a course of a season are you going to be able to utilize that, right? Like, Sure, and and hockey probably doesn't do enough of these finding little edges to try to execute, kind of like basketball, like the the after timeout plays and all this sort of stuff. But over the course of a season, how many times are you actually going to get to be able to do that? Very difficult circumstances to try to pull that off. But it's it's a great point. But hey, yeah, and if you and if you do have the depth of people you can call on, it makes it a little more reasonable to do that. Mm-hmm. You can, if you feel good about having those guys out there, yeah, you can try to goose their offensive opportunities a little bit too. Uh, 650, 650. Keep coming with your thoughts. Jamie Dodd will depart. Uh, filling in for Randy Janda today. Josh Elliott Wolf will take over, leading up into Canuck Central as well with Satir Shaw and Dan Riccio. Getting to a bunch of stuff. Blue Jays yesterday. Uh, Aaron Judge not breaking the record. Do you think they unintentionally, intentionally walked him? Oh, yeah. Which is smart. Why would you pitch to him? He's having one of the greatest offensive seasons ever. Pitch around him. <laughs> But, okay, you did this thing on the show recently yeah. where you, you talked about cowardly yes. plays in sports. Is that not... Okay, hold on, though. I also said, though, it can be cowardly, but the right decision. No, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. of course it's cowardly. Yeah. Of course it's cowardly, <laughs> but it's also the right decision. So long as we're all on the same page. Uh, Vic Nazar and Jamie Dodd back in a minute with Josh Elliott Wolf here uh, rest of the way. Thanks for all the support uh, in the text inbox uh, back here on The People's Show. It's hour two of the People Show. Vic Nazar, Josh Elliott Wolf stepping in now for Jamie Dodd, who is stepping in for Randy Chanda. Hello. Yeah, we cut that all up. Yeah. Dominic Tramati running the show today, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. And Vic Nazar and Josh Elliott. Well, 1,500 Google reviews. It's quite a bit. That is quite a bit. Could we get there? I heard Jamie talking about it with like our podcast for yeah. 650. Got to get there. One day. Uh, you and I heard a figure, though, uh, earlier today that we were uh, rather unimpressed with that people are bragging about. They're like, oh, what a number. And you're going to see it on social media a lot. Probably your friends are texting about it to you in, in the group chat. So yesterday at the Jays game, we're not talking about Aaron Judge getting 61 or trying for 61. That's not over. impressive at no, all. No. That's that's whatever. We've seen that before. Literally, we have. But, uh, <laughs> One time. Well, yeah. two times. Uh, three times. So three times. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. Yesterday at the Toronto Blue Jays games game, uh, it was Looney Hot Dog Day. There was forty thousand people in attendance. Okay. So I, I want to put that as the disclaimer already here. Forty thousand people, and the figure that's being thrown about here. Do you have the actual number? 
Yeah, so it is 50,487 hot dogs. Consumed yesterday Consumed at, at the Rogers Center last night. And they're all, all in for a dollar, so it's, it's, yeah. it's loony hot dog day. I don't, I don't think they're, like, great hot dogs. It's just like, here's yeah. a hot dog, yeah. have a great day. One buck. Yeah. I, I think you know what you're paying for. Yeah. But I've seen it already a lot on social media. I've seen some friends text me about it, like, 50,000. What a day. It's, it sounds impressive. It sounds really impressive. But again... It's 40,000 people in attendance. It's the Yankees are in town. History might be made. You're, You're in a playoff chase. A couple weeks away from the playoff. I think it's also the last loony dog night of the season. Okay. So this is when you like, you're yeah. going to the... If you miss the other ones, you got to get yeah. through on this one. Yeah, you under eight on the other, at the other games, <laughs> you got to overeat at this one. So again, we did the math. That is uh, 1.25 dogs per person in attendance yesterday. That's a weak number. That's a low number. Like, those are, uh, not to evoke uh, Matthew McConaughey, but uh, those are some rookie numbers. You got to pump those numbers up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's rough. I would have, like, when I saw the 50,000, I was like, wow, that's, that's a lot of hot dogs. And then I looked at the attendance. This is what we do. We do the math, man. Yes. So, we, I also did the math on how much, how long that would take Joey Chestnut. <laughs> what? It's, okay, so world champion... Hot dog eater, Joey Chestnut. Yes. How long would it take him to eat 50,000 plus hot dogs? Whatever the exact number was. Okay, so let's do the math here. Uh, so his record is what, 85 in 10 minutes? I think it was 76, 76 in 10 minutes. Okay. Which is an absurd number. Just way too many hot dogs no. in 10 minutes. Do you enjoy that? No. Even when it comes, like, I don't watch it live. Right. Even when it comes up on the highlight shows, I'm like, man, I, I can't watch this. So I'll, I'll, I'll usually try to watch it live. Because it's, it's July. There's nothing on TV in July, okay? I don't mind the event when they do the the full, like, you see everyone. It's mm-hmm. when they zoom in on someone's face and you just see them mowing down the hot dogs yeah. and, like, speckles of bread. Like, oh, it's it's too much. And you see them open their mouth. There's yeah, already three hot dogs in there and they're much. like, here's it's another one. Okay, so uh. he did 76 in 10 minutes? 76 in 10 minutes. An obscene amount. Yeah. And there was 50,000. 50,000-ish. Just over 50,000. So, so you crunch the numbers. How long would it take him? So it would take him 111 hours to do to eat that many hot dogs, Joey, and that's at Joey Chestnut pace, which is right. just absurd levels of mal and hot dogs, which would be just over four days. Four days. Oh, <laughs> so gross. So and, when and, I put it like that, hang on, that's Joey Chestnut pace, not even taking breaks, not not sleeping or anything. Mm-hmm. That's how many hot dogs were consumed. That's if he was just able to be Joey Chestnut at his peak. And that's like record Joey Chestnut, too. Like, he's had right. five lower per 10 minutes and still <laughs> won. Um, so if it was essentially 40,000 Joey Chestnuts in the stands yesterday. Yeah, well, who each had one hot dog. Yes. Yeah. Weak numbers. But we do get a text. Timbo Slice. There's a variable here. Vegans. That's sure. fair. Yeah, that's fine. I assume they also had some sort of, well, maybe, I don't know the ins and outs of veganism, but I also assume there was some sort of vegan alternative for hot dogs. Like yeah, we would hope. Veggie dogs? Uh, Marcus and Gibson's. Costco should do loony dog nights at Rogers Arena for Canucks games. It's already so cheap. <laughs> it's $1.50. You can't go wrong. It's a buck fifty, and you get a drink. Yeah. Oh, man. And you don't even How need... How are you asking it for it to be cheaper? For the one by Rogers, too, you don't even need a membership. You just walk up. Yeah. Whew. Throw it... Actually, don't throw. Yeah. Gently place a toonie on the counter. Gently tap go. your debit card. Yeah. Whatever you got to do. 
we, we, we can't possibly be asking for those to be even cheaper. No. Because that's a dangerous game. You make it cheaper and they're going to start upping the cost of like their pizza slices and then slippery slope. Uh, Chris from Pitt went to Looney Dog's game in August when I was visiting the in-laws. I had eight. Some guy beside me said he was on hot dog 12 in the seventh inning. See, those are the people we needed there last night. Yes. Chris, you're the hero, unlike uh, Vladdy. I think I'm not even a big dude, but I think I would have gone and had at least like four or five. I'm, I'm probably beating the average. Yeah. Three. Well, 1.25 is the average, Easy. so I hope you beat the average. So so what was the worst effort last night? Uh, Vladdy legging it out for a uh, second on that uh, the, the long single to Almost wall. home run yeah. that ended up being an out. Or, or Jays fans yesterday. Jays and Yankees fans yesterday. Probably Vladdy. Because, I mean, at least yeah. I, I assume people were putting in the effort to eat the hot dogs. But Vladdy, and this has happened two games in a row it's, for the Blue it's, Jays. It's different because A, people are paying for the hot dogs and Vladdy gets paid to leg <laughs> to, it out to, to second run base. to second base. Yeah. yeah, so you're probably right. And the, the night before, it, the lesson was just reinforced to you right before. Yeah. Now they got away with it. Yeah, Teoscar Hernandez. So if you didn't see the night before Teoscar Hernandez, base is loaded, hits it pretty much straight to dead center. It's a few inches from being a home run. But he pimped it. He really thought it was out. And he's walking. Barely got to second. Honestly, he probably would have been out too. But the Yankees were trying to throw someone out at home. So he got to second, which is where he probably would have been anyway. But Vlad, like... That's the the lesson. Yeah, the the players probably saw that and were like, whoa, hey, we probably shouldn't do that anymore. The lesson he should have taken away was, wow, even when, like, if he was trying hard, he would have got there. But he slacked off. Don't slack off. The lesson is not... Let's pimp walk out of the <laughs> yeah. batter's box on a near home run. Like, if, if you look, it looks cool when you do it. You better be sure it's gone. But, and I think as a baseball player, too, you know if you've crushed it. Like, you should know if you've you hit a home times, run. You've done it enough times in your career. You should know when you... Especially Vladdy and Teoscar Hernandez. Like, if I hit a ball that hit the wall, I'd be like, that's out. <laughs> because I'm never hitting it to the wall. Right. If you're uh, Mickey Morandini or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I know I just dated you on a reference here, but yeah. Yeah. So it's it, it's frustrating. And I think John Schneider had a comment after the game just saying, they like, you're not going to win in the playoffs if you're doing stuff like that. And as much as I, like, I love bat flips, I love that whole thing, you just got to be smart about the moments you're doing it. And also... Maybe it's a little outdated, but I think the you kind of have to be in a position where you're either that home run you're hitting is to tie the game or to completely shift the momentum. And I think the Vladdy one would have been a two-run home run. They still would have been down five to three at the time, mm-hmm. late innings. Like, yes, it would have helped, but also that's probably not the one you flip on and barely walk out of the box for. It was tough, too, because... Uh... It was right after uh, Bo's play at second, too. Yeah. Which was, it was a tough half inning. Bad soup against events. Uh, 650, 650. You can chime into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox about hot dogs, about uh, the Canucks uh, defensive pair, whatever you want. Uh, we, we were talking about that earlier at the top of the show. Uh, you saw the Lions today. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux at some point. We'll bring you that audio uh, later on this afternoon. But Myers, it is... Uh, He's been such subject of conversation for this entirety of his Vancouver Canucks tenure. 
And we see today they rotated him, Burroughs, Shan, Rathbone. They all got the chance to play with each other and uh, see what sticks. For you, like, who is Tyler Myers' best partner? So, and I heard you and Jamie talking mm-hmm. about this earlier as well. I do agree that if you're trying to get the most from Tyler Myers, like if your goal is to yeah. have him succeed in the best way possible, it's probably Oliver ekman Larson. If you want the Canucks to succeed. Really? So I would say it's Quinn Hughes. If you want the most from, I think if you want the most from anyone, you just pair them with Quinn Hughes. I get that. I just, I think, I, I get what you're saying. I just don't, I don't like the chaos that brings. And I think there's yeah. almost too much chaos with that. Whereas Oliver ekman Larson. But at least I feel like it's chaos in the offensive zone. I Until it gets to the defensive zone. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, that's, I, that's future Tyler Myers' problem. <laughs> Current Tyler Myers is just having a blast <laughs> in the offensive zone. I think that would improve his offensive numbers. I don't know how they would do defensively. Though. Now, traditionally, they're, they're, it's been high event when those two guys have been paired together, uh, Hughes and Myers. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's looked very good in the offensive zone, but it has been high event in their own zone as well. Yeah, but so for from a Canucks point of view, if you're just trying to have the most successful defensive pairs, I really think OEL and Hughes need to have some runtime together. And so for that, personally, I... And it, it depends on Dermot's health, but I think Travis Dermot is the guy for me mm-hmm. because you kind of look at his advanced defensive numbers and he seems to, in limited time, he seems to be really solid defensively and that would kind of help Myers as well. And he also skates quick. It's mm-hmm. just, I like his game as a whole, maybe not in the top four, but if you mm-hmm. limit Myers' minutes a bit more. The main issue I've had, and Jamie was pitching this too as well, Dermot and Myers together. The main issue I have is is there a responsible puck mover among them? And I'm not convinced. Like, I think Travis German has real defensive value. Mm-hmm. He can move a lot better. I think even when Hamannick was moved out last year and German came in, you could see the immediate mobility improvement that the Canucks defense had. There are just pucks he can get to that other guys couldn't in the corners, and he's able to navigate tight spaces a little bit better when he's under duress. But passing is an issue. Decision-making more than anything can be an issue for Travis Dermott. And you mentioned, like, there's chaos ensues when Tyler Myers has the puck. I think he's better with the puck than people want to give him credit for, but let's not pretend he doesn't create some of his own problems. I worry that a pairing like that is going to open up all sorts of opportunities in transition in, in the worst spaces you want Travis Dermott and Tyler Myers defending. Maybe. It's tough because I just don't know. When I look at other potential options for my, and maybe it's someone like Kyle Burrows that's maybe a little more safer, I just think there's more upside in that pairing than there might be with other pairings. And that is a risk you're running into with him, but neither of them really being great puck movers. I do think that's something that the more time you spend together with that D partner, it does improve. Mm-hmm. And Maybe maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it just lasts a short amount of time. I just don't know. Because me personally, Myers, as much as he's getting paid like he should be a priority on the defense, I don't think... There there are probably three he's other... A, yeah, he's not going to get utilized as a priority on the, as a yeah, defense. Yeah, exactly. Especially when Shan gets the leadership role. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let's be real here. Like Tyler Myers has a leadership voice and a leadership role on this team. Yeah. But it is very much like... 
the standard you want to follow of how to extend your NHL career and get the most out of your NHL career is Luke Shen. So if you're a young player, you're Quinn Hughes, we're going to put you with Luke Shen. If you're Jack Rathbone, we're going to put you with Luke Shen. We're joking about that earlier. It's very much like that's the standard of what we want to see of how you, you, how you be a pro. The quote-unquote Jay Beagle example that was supposed to be left behind is now being, that, that torch is being carried by Luke Shen. Which is probably the perfect person to have it. Yes. But as far as a priority of trying to make this, uh, them succeed on defense, I think, like, obviously it's Hughes, obviously OEL. And then I think Jack Rathbone, you want to try to get the most from him this season as well. And maybe it doesn't happen right away. But you want to put him in a position to succeed. And so you mentioned Luke Shen. Like, you want to pair Rathbone with Luke Shen. And so that only leaves OEL, Hughes, if you want to split them up and try to pair, pair them with Myers. Or somebody like Kyle Burrows or whoever else, Danny DeKaiser. Mm-hmm. And I just think out of those three options, Dermot... Um, DeKaiser and Burroughs, I think there's more upside in Dermot. 650-650, this one is uh, saying, what? Myers is a great puck mover. You guys are out to lunch. So we can't just use broad statements to say, hey, you're a good puck mover. You can do all of the things. I think Tyler Myers is a better puck mover than people realize because he can carry the puck. That's one facet of it. I think he's really good at exiting the zone with the puck on his stick. Yes. Okay. Carrying the puck, he can do that. He's got yeah. a long stride, powerful stride. He can keep the puck away from people. He can do that. First pass is passable. It's it's fine. I don't think he's Kale McCarr. I don't think he's Erica Branson. It's somewhere in the middle, right? He's, he's NHL average to slightly above average at it. Receiving the puck is where I have a lot of concern with Tyler Myers. That one tends to go haywire sometimes, and that's what leads to a lot of opportunities that he invites pressure that suddenly it's, yes, he's got a powerful stride, but when he's starting from a a standing spot and people are coming at him because he's handling the puck, that's when he tends to make a safe play and go backwards. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. What happens when you go backwards? You just invite more pressure. And when your other D D partner isn't also capable of handling the puck, when you're under pressure skating, going backwards into your own zone, that's when you see chaotic moments for the Vancouver Canucks, and which is why the, the term chaos surrounds Tyler Myers. So yes, he's got capabilities where he can be a very effective puck mover, but as a carrier, he is. As a passer, at times he can be. And I, I, I also just wonder how, and again, I guess it comes back to him getting paid $6 million, but... There's an expectation that you're flawless all the time when you get paid that much money. Yeah, yeah. And, but also I just wonder... This year specifically, let's say Rathbone pans out with Shen and they're not at the level of what Hughes and Shen were last year, but they're at least a very decent pair, play similarly, just a little bit of a lighter version. Do you think if that pair had success, it would outplay whatever Myers is doing or whoever Myers is paired with? Assuming he's not paired with OEL or not paired with Hughes, because I like, I don't really think so. It, it, it's tough because... It really depends yeah. on how well Rathbone pans out. Yeah, and it's, it's a point I've made with Rathbone too, and you can apply this to, to Myers as well. Because when we're talking about uh, Rathbone, I said, hey, if he's playing with Shen and you get to a stage where Rathbone's credibly a number four D-man, suddenly Luke Shen is like, just pair him with him. That's fine. That's a, that's a second pairing. Luke Shen can't really be a lead guy in a pair. Let's extend that same question to Tyler Myers. Do you think Tyler Myers can be the lead guy on a pair? Despite the price tag and all that sort of stuff, Anywhere in the NHL, can Tyler Myers be a lead guy on a top four pair? 
I don't think so. Not on a top four pair. No. Yeah. Maybe but, on a on a third pair, yes. But then it's 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 really just like a lot less important then. Exactly. But th- that that's kind of my point is, hey, maybe you play him with Dermot, you are worried about mm-hmm. some of those puck movement capabilities, but, but he's on is, your third pair, so you don't really care. But he's not gonna get those he's not gonna get third minutes. And this is like the big Tyler Myers conundrum of figuring out how this works. He's going to get the third most minutes, even strength, defensively. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is such an interesting conversation of how you make these minutes work, how you make these pairings work. For me, is you have to get the most out of him because he's going to get, he has the physical profile to be able to play and log this many minutes. If you need it for long stretches of the season to play Tyler Myers 25, 26 minutes and try to get the same level of consistent play from him, you'd probably do that. You do that with Travis Dermott, you're going to run into some problems. You yeah. do that with Jack Rathbone, he's young. You're going to run into some problems. Luke Shen can't really do that at this age. Uh, Danny DeKaiser, look, we just flat out don't know. Kyle Burrows, we've seen play in elevated roles, and it can get a bit sketchy. The Canucks have a lot of guys that are great on a third pair. You put them up a little yes. bit, and you're like, oh, no, this is bad. Tyler Myers is the only one that can kind of survive. Yeah. But you're just going to have to live with that level of inconsistency. And I've called him the inkblot demon. You're going to see what you want to see. I happen to like some of the skating ability, and I think he does overall go a little overlooked because of the price tag. But yeah, like it's it's a problem that they haven't been able to solve because this D switch up to do with Hughes on the le- on the right side. And I will say, if the Canucks are they go into the year knowing that Myers is going to be the guy that plays the third most, I think this experiment with OEL and Hughes is not going to last very long because they're going to get into the season. They're going to have Myers paired with whoever it is out of those remaining guys, and they're going to see it's not really succeeding. So the one that I kind of wonder about that I haven't thought about enough is Shannon Myers mm-hmm. because, it, like, obviously one guy has to play the left side and don't know how that would work Well, we out. were talking about Burroughs and Myers earlier yeah. today too, which, yeah. I just, I obviously your offensive upside is very limited mm-hmm. there. I just don't know. Does that help him kind of limit what's going on. I, I just worry that pairing Shen with Myers would also expose a lot of the flaws in Luke Shen's game that kind of disappear when he's paired with someone like Rathbone or someone like Hughes that can really move the puck and is more, much more offensively inclined. And I know Myers has that in his game. He's just not really that guy anymore. Well, he's not as explosive as Hughes and Rathbone can be exactly. on the ice. Yeah, He's, he's kind of like the, the long track speed skater who's, who's, who's going to get places. Mm-hmm. But the, the explosiveness of Hughes and uh, Rathbone is just going to be more evident. Mm-hmm. So I, I I really think that if Myers ends up, and obviously one more injury kind of changes everything. Sure. And I think they go back to those units they had last year. I just, I think we're we're looking at OEL Hughes and the idea of it to me is great, but you're going to get into the season and it's not going to be as practical as you might have thought it was. Well, th- yeah, they're going to have to, it, it's going to be a big juggling act to like manage the minutes. And, and that's the thing I've been echoing here. They might be able to make it work, similar to Tampa Bay, where Hedman plays with Ruda, Hedman plays with this guy, Hedman plays with Sergachev, uh, and they just like make it work. But you have to find those situations to try to juggle all throughout the course of the season, uh, which can be challenging in its own way. Bick Nazar, Josh Elliott Wolf here on The People's Show, Dominic Schmatty running the show. All right, let's get to it. It is The People's Picks. It is 
brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports. Brought to you by BCLC. So we did guess the lines yesterday. Uh, I was way off on the uh, Dolphins Bengals. What did you have it at? I had it at uh, one and a half mm. uh, for the Bengals' favor. But I did say the Bengals would be favored because Vegas is going to disrespect the Dolphins despite everyone coming after me in the power rankings. Uh, it's uh, four points right now with the uh, total sitting at 47 points. I heard you said the Dolph- you have the Dolphins at 11? Uh, 10 or 11. 10 or 11. Yeah, that's... Crazy to me. Look, I'm not. That's fine. I'm not high on the Dolphins, but I'm not tenth or eleventh on the Dolphins. Look, I, I try to do my power rankings predictive in nature. Randeep did them reactive in nature. That's all. That's all. I just think power rankings to me are inherently reactive, but that's fine. That's fine. Again, I and I think otherwise. Okay, that's why it's so fantastic to have these conversations. <laughs> I, I don't just look at the standings like Randeep and just say, "Oh, three and zero." You go to the number one in the standings. That's all. Fine. Fine. Uh, all right. But looking ahead to some of the player props uh, for the people's picks Thursday nighter, uh, what do you got? I am going to go. I'm going pretty heavy bangles. Okay. My first one. So T. Higgins. The Dolphin slander continues on the show. Yeah. And I, again, I like the Dolphins. I just. Yeah. I think the Bengals are going to have their way with what, like, the Dolphins are coming off that big game against the Bills and short week and all that. I have T. Higgins over 63 and a half yards. It pays 186. And so Higgins, his first week he had 27, but he was injured that week. Mm-hmm. Second week he had 71. Last week he had 93. He was also injured last week. Two head injuries in three weeks. Two head injuries yeah. in three weeks. So that's that's the scare. But he got the questionable tag removed. It looks like he's going to play. I really think... Like, Jamar Chase is obviously going to be the focus of whatever well, defense they're playing against. That's why it's interesting, because Jamar Chase is priced at uh, 70 yards mm-hmm. and at 1.86, whereas T. Higgins at, uh, like, 80 yards is 2.6, right? So the value, then, is going to be on T. Higgins rather than the star player in Chase. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of with you on the idea... Not that I think the Bengals are going to run away with this game, but I do think there's going to be big plays in this game because they just had 90 plays in that heat, and now it's a short week. You could see some fatigue really set in Miami. So I'm with you on total yards, but I'm going after Joe Burrow uh, here. I'm, I'm going to go to Joe Burrow passing yards, which is, uh, again, we're, we're hoping for, for Chase. We're hoping for Higgins here in this scenario to look at opportunities where they can get Big plays, and it's mm-hmm. over 272 and a half passing yards, 1.86 at playnow.com right now. I do think this is a game where Burrow shows people that, hey, he's still, we went to the Super Bowl last year. I'm still mm-hmm. a really good quarterback. I think this is the game he shows that. Um, I, I do have one more. Let's hit Joe Mixon, anytime touchdown. He doesn't have a TD yet this year. It pays a 1.74. I. Looked at so last year he had 13 touchdowns. He did not go more than three games without a touchdown last season. He's gone three games so far this season without one. I think he gets through this week. So, following game script, I'm gonna go with one more here because as, as tired as Miami might get, I'm also saying they're gonna come out out of the gates and try to create a game script where they can coast the rest of the way rather than have to try to exert more energy and play catch up. I'm going highest scoring half, first half, mm. 1.95. So I'm not playing the total. We're saying highest scoring half 
will be the first half rather than the second half because then they can manage the clock, manage the game to their tempo. And if you're Cincinnati, you want to play with tempo to try to get those legs even more tired in a short week. That's at uh, 1.95. All right, that is the People's Picks brought to you by Playnow Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com, you're playing the you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Know your limit. Play within it. Vic Nazar and Josh Elliott Wolf on the other side. You'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux. Also, we'll talk to Jesse Granger as well uh, from the Athletic in Las Vegas, previewing the Golden Knights. It's all coming up here on the People Show. <laughs> Welcome to Hour 3 of The People's Show, final hour. Vic Nazar, Josh Elliott-Wolf coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour of The People's Show brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, Douglas Lake Equipment. We will connect with Ian McIntyre in just one moment. But let's clean up turf trivia. We asked you heading to break. How many more games does Phil Kessel need to play to beat Keith Yandel's Iron Man record? Josh? The answer is eight games. Seven to tie, eight to beat. Glenn and Richmond is the winner. We wanted to beat, not tie. Yes. Some people answered him with seven. Yeah. Got to listen to the wording. Yeah. Yeah, we always try to, to uh, trip you up. Yeah. I was but, on my game today. I don't know. But Glenn was not tripped up. And the belt going from Surrey to Richmond. So turf trivia champions right now. Richmond Unite. Celebrate Glenn, your new turf trivia overlord. Celebrate Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot coming up this hour. We'll connect with again with Ian McIntyre. Sportsnet's triple threat in just a moment. Uh, also, we'll talk to Danny Kelly later on this hour at 2.30. If you got fancy football questions, we'll do the fancy football update for Clayton Public House on the way later on this hour. Uh, if you missed anything, top of the show, we talked about the uh, news yesterday about Francesco Aquilini and the court case, the family court case that's going on. You can listen to that hour one of the podcast. Plenty more as well. We connected with Jesse Granger uh, in the last hour as well, so getting ready for the Vegas Golden Night season as they uh, are one of the teams competing for a playoff spot as well with your Vancouver Canucks. So let's connect with Ian McIntyre right now. This insider is presentation of Grip Auto Entire. And Ian, you just heard me saying there at the top of the show, we were talking about uh, the news that came out yesterday. Uh, just your impression of the news that happened yesterday um, and, and what you think this means moving forward. Well, obviously awful, uh, disturbing, you know, reprehensible if it's true. I can say that uh, for sure this will be on the National Hockey League's radar. Uh, where it, where these allegations go from here uh, remains to be seen. You know whether this story develops into something more than reporting on affidavits uh, filed as part of a child support uh, disagreement in court. 
but if it if it does go anywhere from here, it wouldn't surprise me at, at some point that the NHL might get involved. Uh, all right. Uh, we kind of mentioned off the top of the show that, look, this is going to be an evolving story. and There's not a, a spot just yet to continue to let this progress. To, so we'll move on from that and talk about what happened at practice today as we get ready for the Seattle Kraken game tomorrow, the preseason game as well. Uh, this, uh, you know, we, we saw the, the pairings today and Myers playing with a bunch of guys. It's kind of been the topic of the show today of, you know, just the, the curious case of who Tyler Myers' best partner is. If I gave you the whole option of the squad, who do you think best pairs with Tyler Myers? Jack Rathbone. Really? I just made that up oh, off okay. my head because <laughs> I didn't know you were going to ask me that. No, I, I just think that that there's been so much focus about Quinn Hughes playing on the right mm-hmm. instead of the left. And, and, you know, is that good? Is it bad? Why are they doing it? What does it do to the rest? I think it's important to sort of look at maybe what they're trying to achieve. You know, there's there it it's it's disjointed if you play Quinn Hughes with Luke Shen because as as good as Luke Shen has been for them and he is very valuable uh to this team for what he offers. You know, there's there's limits uh to what he can do and how much he can play especially at 5 on 5. So you end up it's it's a partnership or a pairing, but it it's not it's not it's not a complete one because there's going to be so often where you need to play Hughes more and and Luke Shen's not going to be there. If you play Hughes with Oliver Ekman Larson, obviously those are two guys that can both play together in all situations and over and over twenty minutes a night. And you can debate: is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? But but that's the objective is to get a a legit top pairing that is together in a lot of situations. What that does it leaves Tyler Myers as a number three without a partner. And again, you can debate whether should Tyler Myers be a number three? Is he really you know a number four? Uh, on some teams, he might be on the third on the third pairing. But the reality is he's he's the number three defenseman on this team and is a very good NHL NHL defenseman. Um, but now they have to find who is number four. And the reason I say Jack Rathbone is because I think there's so much upside there for him to be a top four guy, to be a second pairing guy. And it would be an awful lot to ask right now. And I'm not sure it's the best idea to throw him into that Jack Rathbone because he got thrown into the NHL at the start of last season and it didn't really do him any good. You know, he ended up uh, making mistakes and he and he went down to the AHL, had challenges there, but ended up having a very good developmental season. And we, we've seen how good he looks, how composed his game looks so far in this training camp and, and preseason. I think he's the only other guy they have right now who has that ceiling to be a second-pairing guy. And maybe eventually he'll be a first-pairing guy, but I think he can play 18 minutes for you. I'm not sure. I mean, I like Travis Dermott. Um, I like Kyle Burrows. Uh, I, I like Luke Shan. I'm just not sure that those guys – and Dermot would be the closest, the nearest. I'm not sure that those guys right now you can say, yeah, he, he can be a second pair NHL defenseman. It, it's it's a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. 
But Dermot is probably the guy that will will get the chance to do that, um, assuming he gets healthy, and uh, and we'll see. But I, I really like the upside of Jack Rathbone, and I like what I've seen from him in this camp, which is why I, I think he can play there. And I also think it, it's kind of a natural, just as as Shen right now is mentoring is mentoring uh, Jack Rathbone along, just as he had with Quinn Hughes. And that's kind of a, a natural thing, and it's, I think, a, a smart thing to have Shen's influence on him. But I think Tyler Myers is can kind of do the same thing. So you have an older defenseman in Myers with a younger guy in Rathbone who has a lot of upside. I think that pairing would work. So if you're trying to maximize the upside and potential of Jack Rathbone, do you think... At least to start the season, do you think it would be better to pair him with Tyler Myers, or is Luke Shen kind of that guy at least to start so that you can have them play in third pair minutes and a little more sheltered? Well, we've got we've got five more preseason games, and Bruce Boudreau told us last week that Rathbone could play in all of them. So we're gonna we're gonna get a lot more a lot bigger sample size on what where Rathbone is. Uh, I think initially, again, it, it might be smarter to have them on the third pairing just to manage expectations uh, and expectations that he has as well. Uh, again, because he kind of got thrown in and had too much thrown at him last year uh, at the start of the year. He says he's, he's a much, uh, much more prepared this time than he was last year, and I believe him. He's a really smart kid. Uh, All you need to do is talk to him for two minutes, and you you understand how mature this guy is intellectually, uh, despite his inexperience as an NHL player. So uh, I think he can handle a lot. If it turns out after these next five preseason games that it looks like he's ready for that, then by all means, you can start, start him with Tyler Myers. But if there's if there's any doubt, you know you you want to put him in a in a position to succeed. You want to have him playing so that his confidence is growing, not eroding. And the best way to do that is to have small steps. So you know, ideally, it's probably probably better to start him on the third pair with with limited expectations and and manage his minutes a little bit. The reality is on this team, unless. Patrick Alvin still has a trade to make between now and, and October 12th. Uh, I think he may have to be your second pairing guy. What's interesting is when we're talking about Rathbone, you can see, okay, the, his skill set is lends itself to he's, he's mobile. He can make passers or make passes. And Kyle Burroughs has a tenacity to him. He plays physical and you can find these traits for all these players. Is Tyler Myers, trait that he's, able to just take on a lot of minutes and that's where his value comes from. And that's not something that's sexy and it's probably something that get overlooked a lot. But I I just look at him and I say he can play 25, 26 minutes over course of 10 games and his play's not going to slip. We can define what his play, how valuable his play is, but he's just going to be what he is all of the time, even with a lot of minutes. Yeah, you're you're talking about Tyler Myers, 25 yeah. or 26 minutes. I, 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 I think I'm saying that's he, too like much, he, but he, I, I understand. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying, Bick, and I, I think... I think uh, there's there's a lot of of value in that. Uh, I think ideally, you know, I believe he's 32 years old, mm-hmm. and when you when you're that age, 
you're you're not at the end of your career, but you've played an awful lot and experienced an awful lot. And he he was on a, a awful team in Buffalo. He was on a on a team that should have gone to a Stanley Cup final with the Winnipeg Jets. And by the way, look at the defense in hindsight. Look at the defense the Winnipeg Jets had the year that they were were upset by the fledgling uh, Vegas Golden Knights. And Tyler Myers was still a 20-minute-plus player on that team with, with a really good defense. So I don't think he's in – you know, I don't really agree with the argument that he's strictly a third-pairing guy. I think you're right in that he's adaptable and, and can kind of play a little more or a little less, and he has that experience where he can, he can adapt and handle it. But just as with any – Every player, and we we're just talking about Rathbone and and putting him in the best position to su- succeed. I don't think it's the best way for Tyler Myers to su- succeed if you have to play him 25 or 26 minutes. But I certainly think he has the capability to play in all situations. He doesn't get much power play time uh, with the personnel that they have here, but he's capable of playing in all situations. And because of his experience and versatility that you can you can ride his minutes up some nights i I just wouldn't want to see him play 10 games in a row at that at that number so when we look at the defense at a whole there's kind of five guys i think most people have penciled in it's oel hughes myers and and then you could probably put rathbone and shen in there that if all healthy would start the season uh game one then there's kind of a four. There's four other guys that are hanging around there for that last spot. Uh, obviously, Dermot's the main one, but then there's there's Burroughs and there's uh, Pullman and DeKaiser. Is it Dermot's spot if healthy, or could one of those guys challenge him? And and obviously, it depends on pairings too. But what what do you make of that kind of battle? I guess. Yeah. Well, I I haven't seen a whole lot um, from DeKaiser, uh, and and that's not to say I think he's been poor. I, I just haven't. Haven't seen anything that makes makes me think. Well, this guy is going to upgrade the defense. But we're, we're one we're one preseason game. I guess two because there were two on the same night mm-hmm. into their preseason. So there's a long way to go, and he'll get he'll continue to get an opportunity uh, to play and show that he deserves a contract. But right now, I I, I think you know uh, he would have to he has to get better for him to really to be in the picture. I think Burroughs is a fantastic guy to have as a seventh guy. And he showed last year that he was, he was capable of being an everyday player, which was a great story. You know, a local kid who's, who's scuffled to kind of get a foothold in the NHL and finally becomes an everyday player. And how did he do that? By being versatile, playing within his limits, standing up for teammates and and always being ready when he's when he's called upon. And again, I think that's that's easier. Just like you know, Meyer's experience makes it easier for him to play more minutes when required. I think the fact that that Burroughs has had to adapt and has had uh, a lot of disappointment and had to to work hard to build uh, a career. I think he's always ready. Like he, he's he's a guy that you can drop in on the left side or the right side, a guy you can pull up, pull down from the press box and play him a, a bunch of games in a row because you have an injury. But I see him, you know, I'm not sure that he's he's a top six regular if if everybody is healthy. 
So, oh. and and I I also think he's he's going to be an interesting decision for the Canucks because for all the reasons I just stated, he's probably a guy that teams would look at on the waiver wire if he's not going to be in the Canucks top seven. Uh, talking to Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's Triple Threat here on the People Show. Bick Nazar, Josh Elliott, Wolf, filling in for Randeep Janda. Uh, you uh, just dropped a quote uh, on Thatcher Demko, I imagine, for an upcoming piece. Uh, that's uh, certainly an inspiring piece uh, to to read from Thatcher Demko to say, hey, last season, yeah, we can, from the, from the outside, can say it was spectacular, but he's striving for higher. Yeah, yeah, it it was a really interesting conversation, but I always find him fascinating. And I've said before, we, and by we, I, I mean people who follow the team in Vancouver, but especially we who talk to players and cover the team closely, we've been spoiled with the goaltenders here because not only has there been a string of really uh, superior goaltenders play for the Canucks, they've been some of the most thoughtful, articulate, interesting people that I've covered as well. And and Thatcher Demko is is part of that group because... You know, I, I think he had a great season last year. You know, that just look at the numbers, look at where the Canucks would have been without him. I mean, he was 10 games over 500 for a team that missed the playoffs by six points. You know, a lot of the the advanced stats was a top five goalie in, in the NHL. And yet he's not satisfied with that. He thinks it was just okay uh, because there were stretches where he didn't think he was as good as he should be. And because the team missed the playoffs and, and because of that, he thinks he has another level and he's really driven to, to keep improving year by year, even though that was a breakthrough year, the the way that I see it, he thinks it's just the start. And if that's the case, that's awfully good news for the Canucks. Well, it's encouraging too, because he made the point that it was his last year in his opening press conference. It was his first year rather. Uh, where he got to be the main guy. And so, yeah, it does feel like a breakthrough. He can keep trying to achieve higher things. And he even corrected himself when talking about making the playoffs. And you think of where he is right now in his stage of career. And, yeah, he's a little bit older, but as far as where he is in his actual playing career, he kind of fits the mold of Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson. These guys go to make that next breakthrough and be the leaders of the team. Yeah, well, clearly he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, and uh, that story, thanks for the tout, by the way. That story should be posted what we here for. In, the, in the next little while on sportsnet.ca. Uh, the, the, the whole infrastructure of the radio station, Ian, is just here to support your articles. <laughs> right. It's all vertical <laughs> integration. It's all about me. And I, I'm glad you appreciate that, Vic. It took you a while to figure that out. I'm glad you came around. But he, he uh, you know, clearly is a leader. Uh, like, I, he was talking about... Uh, you know, they. I don't think I, I posted it in the little uh, preview on on Twitter, but he says in the story. You know, they've got young guys that, who aren't so young anymore, and and want to be leaders and and step up. And you know, he can be talking about. I don't think he was talking about himself in the third person. I don't think he's quite there yet to speak of himself in the third person. <laughs> but he could have been referring to himself. He's clearly. Clearly, he is a leader. He's, he's a leader on the ice. Uh, by all accounts, he's universally popular and, and well-adjusted, especially by goaltender standards. In the dressing room, teammates gravitate around him. You know, they like him. Uh, and then when you see, when he reveals himself through interviews like this about, you know, how driven he is, what he, what he thinks of himself, 
you know, that he doesn't care what we think, which, you know, is probably a good thing in this market. But he was, he was saying that in the context of me suggesting he had a really good season. He doesn't care what people think. He, he knows, he feels that he can be better and will be better this year. Well, we'll keep an eye on that uh, that piece on Sportsnet.ca again. Uh, either should be up very soon, or uh, will be up, uh, or is up already at Sportsnet.ca. He is Ian Ian McIntyre. You hear him on six fifty and on TV as well. iMac will uh, chat soon. Thanks for having me on, Vic, and uh, great work out of the bullpen, Josh. Thank Absolutely. you. It is uh, Ian McIntyre on Sportsnet six fifty. Brought to you by grip auto and tire quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you all right a little bit behind but uh let's get to it every day here on the people show your chance to drop a take into the dunbar lumber text message inbox don't at me your takes uninterrupted don't at me text in your submissions to 650 650 don't at me i said what i said yeah, and text in 650-650. Something on your mind, something that you're workshopping. That's what this is for. Drop in the take into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. I'll, I'll kick it off. Don't at me. 50,000 loony dogs. Ain't that impressive? It's not. Don't at me. You, like, you look at the number. Yeah. The number itself is impressive. I'll yeah. give them that. You look. At, you do the math, though. That's why you got to look into the facts. You got to fact check things and yeah. all of a sudden. Again, we worked it out. It's, yeah. Or sorry, you worked it out. Four and a half days, Joey Chestnut could eat that many hot dogs. That's weak. Yeah, in, in one sitting, mind you. But. Yeah, yeah. He could do that. No problem. Kobayashi. I, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Right? I mean, if they team up, that's two days. <laughs> um, don't at me. Dermot and Myers will be a excellent third pair for the Canucks this season. I think Rathbone and Chen are going to surpass them. Be the second pair? I I guess the goal would be to have two good third pairs. Yes, because you're not going to have... I think you look at any pair, if OEL and Hughes stick together, and you're like, that might be a second pair, but probably isn't. Uh, Dom, you got a don't at me? Yeah, don't at me. Uh, The days of sending your local weather reporter out to uh, Category 4 Hurricane... And you know those videos yeah. where they're on the news and they're standing into the into the wind and they're like just getting tossed around. Stop by sign the goes by and then a yield sign. It's yeah, like, I think you're next. You yeah, don't at me. Yeah. That's stupid. We need to stop doing that. I do like watching the Weather Channel though, because for moments like this, because they will do stuff like that and they'll they'll send. Uh, he, he's the famous anchor on that network. I'm oh, totally blanking. Yeah. But um, they, they send the guy yeah. every time, and he's there and like thunderstorms and snow and he gets so hyped for weather i will say like extreme weather to me like if i was getting paid to go in it i would love it but also i'd be like hope i don't die today yeah um when i was in arizona they have these random huge storms so it was like super windy super rainy like we were on our porch at our airbnb and it was like blowing into the house if we had mm-hmm. had the door open and it was it was awesome but also i was safe and i knew i could just sit out there and be in the rain but also be like this is neat i okay you, you know the classic uh small talk thing and be like hey we have good weather yeah or are you liking the weather you know yeah. why that small talk thing because weather is so fascinating yes we we just not take it for granted but we would just overlook how much it impacts our day-to-day but things like hurricanes they're, they're dangerous and you never want to see them, but they are cool mm-hmm. at the same time. To see yeah, them. I hope everyone's okay, yes. but exactly. Like, hurricanes, tornadoes. Are, oh, I love tornadoes. Uh, all right. 650, 650. Let's get into the inbox here. Don't at me. 
again, it doesn't have to be about sports. Be whatever you want. Uh, this one, don't at me. But the Canucks will have to deal with Beneers and Shane Wright for years, the same way we had to deal with Kane and Taze. Rager, texting that one in. I, I agree. I, I feel like people are going to look back at this draft and be like, Shane Wright fell? Why did Shane Wright fall? And now Real the talk. Canucks are going to be the ones dealing with it, it, especially if this rivalry kicks off in the next few years and maybe both teams get a little more competitive. It's it, He's going to be, both of them are going to be a thorn in the Canucks side for a while. Uh, this one, don't at me. If you reverse into a spot at Costco for a full shop, you're a psycho. Jason from South Van. So, it's a rookie move. Because, oh, just like how much you have to like load. Yeah, that's Yeah, fair. you got to yeah. bring the card around. Some places have it where there's a gap between the two back-end yeah. spots, so that kind of helps, but. No, that's a fair point. From don't Jason. be that guy. Same with when, every time I go golfing, especially in the morning, I just, I do the thing where you, there's two spots in front of each other and you just pull through. And so that way you're facing Oh, out. yeah. No. When you're golfing, that's dumb because you got to put the, the, the clubs, clubs yeah. back in yeah. the back. Ah, it's a rookie move. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, from Jason. Uh, this one. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's don't at me. For once, I think iMac is 100% right that Rathbone with Myers is the best second pairing. Now, there's some other thoughts coming in as well. Gurjeet saying, do not pair Rathbone with Myers. You will leave him hanging on plays, not as reliable as Shen. That's true. I mean, there's upside in the Myers and Rathbone situation. The thing is, is Myers just has to play a role, but we've seen he's not going to play that role. Yeah. Man, if he did, though. <laughs> wow. That would be great. Uh, this one, uh, Dan from Van. Don't at me. Bick talking smack about Randy's Randy's ranking system. Bring it up tomorrow when he's here. I bring it up yesterday when he was here. Yeah, I bring it you, up all the time. I will. I will say, I think there's a middle ground between your guys' rankings. You're very like you. You're very patient with the I, rankings. Yeah, I upgraded the Dolphins a great deal. I didn't have them going to the playoffs, and now they're a top ten team to me. That's mm. a big step. That's me growing as a person, ladies and gentlemen. I'm proud of you. Yeah. And, and I think, to your point, Randy, can be a bit reactive. I, I, I think there's a middle ground. Yeah. And the middle ground is 10th. <laughs> uh, don't at me, Jeffro. Canucks extend Luke Shen after this year. Well, he's a UFA. I, I think he's a guy you just go one-year deals with at yeah. minimum until he, until he either wants to go somewhere else or he's retiring. Uh, Jimmy from North Van, don't at me. Bo Horvat will have a career year with 35 goals, 55 assists. Quick math, that's 90 points. Completely screwing up the Canucks management position in contract negotiations. He's going to pull an Aaron Judge? Yeah, pull an Aaron Judge. So there's some uh, wish casting going on. Do we there think from... Bo Horvat has an Aaron Judge year in him? That is a great question. I don't. Does Bo Horvat have a Lamar Jackson year in him? I guess yeah. Lamar Jackson has already won MVP. Yeah, he's already won an MVP. Yeah, you I, know, you know what Bo Horvat does have in him? That dog. That dog. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a Frenchie. <laughs> well, your guy Zach Wilson, he's back. He's got that dog. He's in him. got that dog. In him. Uh, we'll, we'll pitch that by Danny Kelly on the other side. What does Zach Mills, Wilson's return mean for uh, the rest of the New York Jets? Can you still trust Garrett Wilson, or are there going to be more? Out of that offense, including a bunch of other uh, fantasy football thoughts. You can get them in already if you uh, rolling in here, 650, 650. I'll talk to Danny Kelly next here on The People Show.